morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to read the text for today. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you, go your way till, till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Ask please that your Holy Spirit descend upon this place. Fill our hearts and our minds with understanding and love for your word. Lift up our pastor to you that you may keep him safe and and let him explain all this to us. Father God, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when we started, I'm sure you thought this day would never come. (laughs) But we're going to finish up the book of Daniel today. Don't worry if you want to get into another prophetic study. I've been, uh, I think we've done three Wednesdays in Revelation, and I'm almost out of chapter one. So there's still time if you guys want to plug into that Wednesday nights. Great study to take up after you've spent some time in Daniel. Well, as we come... Here and we, and we have what uh, the Word of God lays out for us. 
for Daniel. Daniel, remember when we started this whole thing, we got a, a young man, a teenager, who made a decision early in his life when his life went south to, that he was going to be all in for God. He was, he was taken as a teenager from his home, uh, made a eunuch, made a, a slave in Nebuchadnezzar's house, he had every reason to quit and whine and complain and say, you know, God doesn't love me and I got the raw end of the deal and things aren't working out. But that's not what he did. Instead, what he did is he said, you know what? I'm in. I'm all in, God. You and me. That's all I got left. And so he stayed focused on that. The Bible says he purposed in his heart. He made that, that decision and purposed in his heart. And it's so necessary for you and I to come to that place. And then God began to show him things. Just think about the things he showed him through the kings that he served. Remember the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Big statue representing all the kingdoms of men. And what were all their feet made of? Clay. And what did they all have in common? They're all passing away. Every kingdom of man is passing away. Man is incapable of governing himself. God was to be... The, the king, the ruler. And so the gospel, as we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, look, it's, it, is all, it is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and he saved us from the wrath of God. But it's more than that, isn't it? That's not the end of it. He's the returning king. He's coming back to set up a kingdom. And that's what Daniel saw. All the kingdoms of men stumbling and failing and falling. But one day there would be a rock that would come that was not cut out with hands. And it would land on the ground and grow until it filled the whole earth. The coming of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And everything we've been going through in the book of Daniel really is based off of that beginning vision, even until this last vision. Now remember, we're looking at the last vision of Daniel. It started in chapter 10. So 10, 11, and 12, we're all dealing with the, the same vision. And as we come to the close of that vision today, there's four things uh, I'm hopeful that you're going to be able to see as the Lord wraps all of these things up. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now at that time, Michael shall stand up, that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even unto that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Sometimes we struggle with the concept of how salvation worked in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. It's all the same, folks. If your name's not written in the book, then you're not in. How is it that your name is written in the book? You believe. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That He died for my sins. And that He was raised for my justification. The Old Testament, they looked forward. What did they look forward to? The promise of Messiah, right? The Deliverer. One day a Deliverer will come. Isn't that what Moses was all about? One day a Deliverer will come. He's going to set us free. In the New Testament, we look back to the fulfillment of that promise through Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. So we see this, this important concept. This first thing lays out for us this idea. The rescue of God's people. Now, let's keep in mind. Daniel was what nationality? Jew, he was writing to what people? Jews. 
So when the Lord says, hey, it's a rescue of your people, who's he talking about? Jews. Remember when we talked about Daniel chapter 9? In Daniel chapter 9, we have 70 weeks were determined for your people and your holy mountain. You remember, 70 weeks. We saw historically that 69 of those weeks are fulfilled. That there's one week left, one seven-year period of time remaining in, the, in history, prophetic history, for the nation of Israel. We call that final seven-year period of time what? Tribulation period. The tribulation period. What is it that, 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 that the Lord describes it to Daniel? And that time, there will be a time of trouble such as never been before, even unto that time. So it's going to be a crazy period of time. Now when, when it begins, remember we saw in Daniel chapter 9, when does the clock begin for that final seven year period of time? The clock begins when Antichrist stands up makes a peace treaty with the nation of Israel for seven years. He brings peace to the Middle East. Probably a part of that peace plan is his building of a temple. There's not a temple there now, is there? No, we are in the time of the Gentiles. Time of the Gentiles began roughly in 586 B.C. When the, when the Temple Mount was lost to the Babylonians and it's been lost ever since. Off and on, brief times when they've had opportunity to worship there. But still today, you go to Israel and they don't own the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount be- belongs to, to the Muslims, to, to Islam. It's the third most holy site in all of Islam. That were, and so there's no temple there today. But the clock starts when Antichrist starts. Has a peace treaty. He's going to build that temple. He's going to establish those things. How do I know that? Because Daniel said that one day the Antichrist is going to stop the offerings. Well there's no offerings going on now. Is there? So in order for there to be offerings. There's got to be a place to bring your offering. Right? He's going to have to build that temple. Now when that starts. Seven year period of time begins, look at Daniel 12.1 and see how it starts. What happens? What happens at the beginning? At that time, that's what it says, right? At that time, Michael will stand up. I, I hope I get to see it. Because this is the one thing when I look at the Bible, I think, man, I want to see that day. I want to see that day when Michael stands. Don't you think when Jesus Christ was crucified, Michael is up in heaven, they're having to hold him back from coming down and saying, whoa, you ain't doing that to my Lord? You think he was just calm in heaven? Man, I think he was like, yeah, uh, somebody needs to take the, the leash off of Michael. And Michael's been wearing a leash for a long time. Daniel 12, verse 1, the leash comes off. At that time, Michael will stand up. At that time. You want to see a parallel with that? Just hold your finger here and go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. You get to see a little more information on what occurs at that moment. In Revelation chapter 12, we'll pick it up at verse 7. Revelation 12, 7. Remember when I gave you the the quick outline on the book of Revelation. Okay, I'm going to give it to you again. You ready? Whole book in 30 seconds. Revelation is divided into three parts. That which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. Three parts. That which you have seen, chapter 1, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ as conqueror and king. 
The things which are, chapter 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches, describing what needs to take place within each of those churches to bring revival, and that they would be a blessing to their, to their Lord and Savior. Chapter 4 and 5, we see the church in heaven, praising Jesus. So something occurs from chapter 3 to chapter 4 and 5. We call that the rapture. Chapter 6 begins the tribulation period with the opening of the seven seals in chapter 6. It closes in chapter 19. So from chapter 6 to chapter 19, we have that final seven-year period of time we call the tribulation. From 6 to 19, all the seals, all the bulls, all the trumpet judgments, all wrapped up. It closed in chapter 19 with the return of Christ. He comes back, battle of Armageddon. He sets up his kingdom. We see the kingdom in chapter 20. Uh, at the close of the kingdom, we have the great white throne judgment. A new heaven and a new earth, chapter 21 and 22. We live happily ever after. Whole book of Revelation. So when we come to chapter 12, that's in what section? 6 through 19, which is dealing with what? Tribulation, Tribulation period. So we look at it. Revelation 12, verse 7. It says, and war broke out in heaven. You see that in verse 7? War broke out in heaven. When does this occur? What has kicked these things off? When we back up in Revelation uh, chapter 12, hopefully I'll be able to see it. We back up in Revelation chapter 12. It says, now a great sign appeared in heaven. Verse 1, a woman clothed in the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. And being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon. Who do you think that is? <clears throat> Having seven heads and ten horns. We've seen that before, right? Seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour the child. As we look at this beginning part of Revelation chapter 12, what we see is a history of the coming of Messiah. A woman described as she is here in Revelation chapter 12 is using the exact same symbolism of Joseph's dreams. Remember when Joseph had dreams about the nation of Israel? It's described the same way. So who's the woman? The nation of Israel. Who gives birth to Messiah? The nation of Israel. Messiah comes from who? Israel. He's born a Jew, right? Of the tribe of Judah he comes forth. And the dragon's waiting to eat him. The dragon's trying to destroy him. What did Herod do right after Christ was born? He slaughtered all the children, two years and younger, right? To try to wipe out Messiah. So you have the dragon poised to wipe him out. All of these things have occurred. Now when the tribulation period begins, and as I said, I, I, I'm hopeful that we, that we get to see this part. I think God's going to look over at Michael and say, now. And Michael's going to get up. And verse 7 happens. Verse 7 of, of Revelation chapter 12, war breaks out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought who? The dragon. Okay, the dragon is the devil. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So that great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast with him. And he said, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren. Now what, what, what did he say? The accuser of what? Our brethren, right? Our brethren. The accuser of our brethren 
who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Chapter 4 and 5, I believe the church is taken into heaven. At that moment, there's something called the Bema Seat Judgment, the judgment of, of, of Christ, the judgment of a, the believer, the judgment of the church, in which the things that we did for Christ are going to pass through the fire. That which is wood, hay, and stubble is burned away. That which is gold, silver, and precious gems becomes that reward. Now you might say, what do I care about that reward? If you read Revelation chapter 5, you'll find out why you care. Because there's going to be a moment in the praise of heaven when we get there and everybody's super stoked. And we're thinking, man, this is way better than where I've been for the last however long I've been there. And we stand before Almighty God and we're moved with such a passion as we see Him in the midst of the 24 elders, the Lamb, as though He had been slain. And it says the 24 elders will fall on their face and they'll take their crowns and they'll cast them at His feet. The the rewards that a believer receives for his life on earth is his offering to his Messiah, his Savior, his God and King when he's in heaven. He casts those at his feet. So it says, Michael gets up. This hasn't happened yet, guys. Now, have the angels already fallen? Absolutely, angels have already fallen. He told us how many he had. The devil has a third. God uh, has two-thirds. So God has twice as many. No shortage. You're not going to have a hard time with, with the devil and his angels. And Michael gets the nod, get up and get him out of here. The church is in heaven. The, the devil's accusing. The judgment of the church is going on. And when that judgment is completed, however long that takes in heaven, I don't know. It, we talk about it being outside of time. I don't know if any time passes. But when it's done, I think God looks over at the, at the devil or looks over at Michael and says, He's done. There's nobody left for him to accuse anymore. The accusation of our brethren is over. And he throws him out of heaven. And he comes to the earth having great rage. Revelation 12 goes on to say, because he knows he has but a little time. When that happens, how much time does he have? Seven years. Seven years. That's it. Seven years. So Michael stands up, that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And what's they say? There's going to be a time of trouble like you have never seen. Not only is Michael, the presence of Michael, he's going to stand up, but we also see the divisions of the angels. Michael, the Bible tells us, is an archangel. You guys know there's all kind of different angels, right? In case you didn't know that, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says this, He, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation, for by Him... All things were created. That, by the way, does mean all. Things that are in heaven and on earth. So Jesus Christ created everything that's in heaven and on earth. And listen to how it's described. Visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All of those things, most scholars say, point to a division of the angelic host. There's, there's way more than just the word angel. There's, there's a whole... Heavenly realm, supernatural realm, we don't even comprehend. And we know they're doing spiritual battle, right? Because in Revelation 12, he shows us one. 
Right? There was war in heaven, and Michael throws the devil out. So we see that happening. We see in, in Daniel, we see spiritual warfare happening while Daniel's praying, right? We see spiritual warfare taking place. There's a, a multiple um, divisions, if you will, of, of angels. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it tells us that we do not battle with flesh and blood, but what? tells us principalities and powers. It says, look, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, where? In the heavenly places. So there's spiritual battles going on, right? You guys get it? And Daniel's just peeling back the curtain so we can see a little bit of it. And he says, on that day, at that time, when the tribulation begins, Michael's getting up and throwing Satan out. The time of accusing the brethren is over. It's over. Now <clears throat> it is time for the outpour of God's wrath. Which brings us to the next point, which is the prediction of trouble. What does he say? Man, there's going to be a time such as never been before. Jesus says that same thing in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. Jesus says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. What's Jesus quoting? Daniel chapter 12. He's saying, yep, that time's coming. And he's talking all about it at the Olivet Discourse. He's talking all about it in in, uh, Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, Mark, which one? Hmm, I'm going to say 14, but I could be wrong. But nonetheless, we, as we work our way through the scriptures, we're going to see it throughout the Gospels. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, here's what Jeremiah the prophet said. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of whose trouble? Jacob's trouble. It is the time of whose trouble? Jacob's trouble. Does it say it's the time of the church's trouble? It says it's the time of whose trouble? Jacob's trouble. God is going to bring rebellious Israel back into line. God is going to accomplish that in that final 70th week of Daniel. But don't miss it. Even though there's a prediction for all this trouble, what does he say? What does he say at the end? He doesn't say, well, kind of sucks for you guys. Hope you make it. What's he say? He says, he says, and at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who's written where? In the book. Everyone who is written in a Lamb's book of life. So the first thing we see in verse 1 is the rescue of God's people. Then the second thing we see as we go on in verse 2 and 3, we see the resurrection. Look at it. It says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some of those, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteous righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So the first thing we see is in the resurrection there's a separation. There's a resurrection to life, yes, and there's a resurrection to death. Everlasting contempt. Okay? So there's, there's at least... Two resurrections. The first resurrection is the resurrection of the believer. 
And the first resurrection began when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the scripture says he is what? The first fruits of the resurrection. And that period for the first resurrection, it's not a moment in time. It's not one thing that occurs. It's a period of time from the resurrection of Christ, as we see, until the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. Let's take a look at how that all flows together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, talking about Jesus. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first fruit of the resurrection. Were other people ever raised from the dead? There were people that... Lazarus, 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 what's that? Lazarus was raised from the dead, right? We got the, the widow Nain's uh, 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 son raised from the dead. Uh, some say uh, Talitha was raised from the dead. You have all those, but, but none of those are resurrections. They're resuscitations. You know the difference? When Jesus rose again, he didn't die again. He rose, stayed risen. Are you with me? So, he's the first resurrection. Jesus Christ. He's the first resurrection. The first fruits. Look what he says. Now Christ, risen from the dead, has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, (coughs) by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own Order Christ first, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. So first Christ, and afterwards those are him in their own order. That's the beginning of the first resurrection. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, we get another picture of resurrection. In First Thessalonians 4, 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And the voice of who? The archangel. And the trumpet of God. And who rises first? The dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. Not on the ground. In the air. So there's a resurrection Spoken of in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, which is a resurrection of the dead in who? The dead in Christ. The church. There's a resurrection of the church when the Lord will descend, not all the way to the earth, but into the clouds. And He's going to shout. The archangel's going to holler. His voice is going to be heard, right? They're going to blow a trumpet. And the dead in Christ go up. And we who are alive and remain are caught up together with them. And we go to be with Jesus Christ. That's a resurrection, right? The dead in Christ going up. That's, that's, somebody's getting risen. So you have the resurrection taking place of the church. And so we will always be with the Lord. But in Daniel chapter 12, verse 13, we see another resurrection. Look at it. Daniel 12, 13. Speaking to Daniel, the Lord said, But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest... And you, Daniel, will arise to your inheritance when? At the end of the days. So the Lord says, you, Daniel, and I think he's talking to all the Old Testament saints, Daniel, Abraham, David, he says, you go your way to rest. And after the tribulation is finished, I'm going to raise you. 
the Old Testament saints being resurrected after the tribulation period. But there's more. Because the book of Revelation tells about more yet to go. It says in Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 11, Then I saw the great white throne. I'm sorry, let me back up. 20 verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that those who come to faith during the tribulation period are going to die. Right? You either take the mark of the beast or what happens? They take your head. Simple. Take the mark, take your head. They can write lots of books about how you can live through it, but the Bible would seem to say that everybody who comes to faith is going to lose their head. And what does it say in Revelation 20, verse 4? It says, Those who lost their head for Jesus Christ, who would not take uh, or worship the beast or his image, who did not receive his mark on their foreheads, they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not rise again until the thousand years were finished. Okay, so you have Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection. Then you have the church, a resurrection of the church, brought up together to be with Christ. You have the resurrection of the Old Testament saints at the end of the tribulation period. And you have the resurrection of the tribulation saints at the end of the tribulation period. And they'll, they will live, it says, and reign with Christ for a thousand years at His millennial kingdom. All of those are the first resurrection. All of those are a resurrection unto life. You with me? All of those, they start with Christ, and they end with the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. That's it. The end of the first resurrection. That's the resurrection of life. But the Bible also says there's a resurrection to shame and everlasting contempt. And we're told about that one in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whom the face of the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were open. Now what was the deal? What was the gig? How did you get in to the first resurrection? Your name had to be where? In the book. Let's take a look. <clears throat> so it says the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And it says the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death... And Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Resurrection to life. A resurrection to death. A resurrection to life eternal with Christ. And a resurrection to judgment and an eternity in the lake of fire. I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but when we see the Antichrist and the false prophet cast into the lake of fire, a thousand years later we have the great white throne judgment, the end of the resurrection of the dead, and it says they were cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. Not where the beast and the false prophet were. They're still there in the lake of fire. So these are the two resurrections we see laid out for us. Now look at the shining. What happens? It says 
that there's going to be a, a, a shining. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. What's that talking about? Look, when we go in the book of Revelation, the Lord always uses something that bears light to describe the lives of believers. Okay, for example, when he talks about the angels, he calls them stars. The stars, the morning stars sang when God spun creation, according to Job. He calls them stars. What what do stars do? They reflect the light of the sun. He says that in Revelation, the churches are represented by what? Lamps. What do lamps do? They reflect the light, right? They, They burn oil. Oil is a picture in the scripture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the spark of light in the life of the believer. So angels are stars. The church is a lamp. And Jesus Christ is the sun. Because we don't need a sun in heaven anymore, right? Because the lamb gives it light. The Bible says when Jesus had his transfiguration when he parted his flesh to let the disciples glimpse his glory. It says that he shone like the brightness of the sun, right? So what's this shining? The shining is what occurs when those who follow Christ. If you follow Christ, you shine. There's no such thing as I'm a Christian when my lamp's hid under a bushel. No, that ain't how it works. You shine. If you follow Christ, you reflect his glory. So don't lie to yourself. You follow Christ, you reflect His glory. We follow Him, we want to we be the shining, right? We want to be the ones glowing forth. Now in verse 4 of chapter 12, <clears throat> we see this concept of a sealing. What's that all about? Let's look at it. Verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. For many shall one run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So what, what we see first, what's the extent of the sealing? He says, he says, seal this book until the time of the end. Right? He's not gonna, he's not gonna explain this to Daniel. Daniel's gonna say, Lord, I don't understand. He's gonna say, it's not for you, Daniel. Don't worry about it. The people for whom, the, for whom it's given, they're gonna understand. But this one, this one's not for you. When is it for? The time of the end. Yes? It's for the time of the end. So what does this mean? He gives us two hints to understand the time of the end, right? People will go to and fro, and knowledge will increase. Are you with me? So a lot of times people, will, when they talk about this prophetically, they'll say, well, like today, we can go to or fro across the world. Nobody could ever understand that we'd ever be able to do that. Now we have this ability to travel, so we find ourselves in the time of the end. Well, that's nice, and, and, and maybe there's something to that, I don't know. But I always like to use a Bible. Instead of just my own noodle. Uh, you know what I mean? Because when the Bible says it, I can go, the Bible said that. That wasn't not Jackie's brain coming up with some idea. So let's look at Amos. Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. We've looked at these before a number of times. But let's look at them again. Amos 8, 11 and 12 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Listen, they shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro, 
seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. What God's talking about is there's going to come a time where He's silent. There's going to come a time where that witness of Christ on earth is gone. When people will run around to and fro and be looking to try to understand what's going on. Who's going to tell us? Look, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, If you're waiting around and thinking, you know, maybe I believe, maybe I won't, but after the rapture I'll just, I'll just throw in. What 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says is if you wait to that moment, you're going to be deluded. Because God is going to judicially harden your heart. That's what it says. God's going to harden your heart because you're, you had your chance. And it's over. So he says, you're going to believe the lie. The people that come into tribulation saints, who come into faith during the tribulation, are not those who had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to receive the, the gospel, to believe. It's going to be those who didn't. The Lord's going to continue to reach out. So he says, when, when he says people are going to run to and fro, I think that's what he's talking about. They're going to be looking around for the answer. But there's nobody there. They're going to run into a church. But the people ain't there no more. Stuff's not going on. The, the, the opportunity to have those things isn't there. And as we get closer and closer to the end, knowledge is going to increase about what? Not just random knowledge. Not like I got smarter today than I was yesterday. But knowledge about the prophecy. We're going to start to see how the pieces fit. The closer we get, the easier it is to see. If you've been in the church very long, you have heard a million different bad guys. You've you've probably heard 20 different antichrists. You've probably heard about all these things, how it was going to happen. If, If you were around the church for most of your life, you've probably heard any number of people tell you when the day of the Lord is going to be. And sell your stuff and get up on a mountain. Make sure you're wearing something white because Jesus is coming back. If they do that, by the way, that's a guarantee that that's not the day He's coming back. Because the Word of God tells us who's going to know. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to I don't know why that's so difficult to get into people's heads. No one will know the day nor the hour. And so I'm going to write a book and make a million dollars telling everybody when it's going to happen. That kind of cracks me up. Kind of cracks me up. And at the same time... It's a little bit sad. We should spend more time, spending time in the Word of God. So when he says, many will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. It's knowledge about the prophecy. And I think he's, he's talking about people looking for the Word. Looking for the Word. Look, if there's no believers anymore in the United States, who do you think is going to be telling people about God? Nobody. It's going to be kind of quiet. People will run to and fro looking for the answer. But the Lord's going to send forth 144,000 to reach out to them. But you have to come to Revelation to get that part. That's not here in Daniel chapter 12 verse 4. But next we see the explanation of a man clothed in linen. Let's look at it in verse 5 through 9. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold there stood two others. (coughs) One by the river bank. And the other on the other river bank. So you got two guys, one on each side of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river. So you got one guy on each side and one guy in the air. You with me? One guy on each side, one guy in the air. He asked the one, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? 
And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of heaven when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever. By the way, the only person who does that ever is God. God's the only one who ever does that. He swears by him who lives forever and ever that it shall be time, times, and a half time. So he says, three and a half years. It's going to be three and a half years. And he tells us, he's going to give us several numbers that we're going to look at in a moment. (coughs) So who is this guy? Who is this man clothed in linen? Jesus Christ. It's Jesus clothed in linen. He's saying it's going to be three and a half years. It's a decree. It's a picture of God decreeing. This is as long as it's going to go. What part's he talking about? The part after the abomination of desolation. The worst part of the tribulation. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. A relative peace as the Antichrist rises to power. Takes over. He proclaims himself to be God. Three and a half years to the end. Everybody with me? So he says it's going to be time times and a half time. His proclamation, this time of judgment of God won't last forever. What's the purpose? The power of the holy people is going to be what? Almost broke. He's going to bring them right to the brink, but not quite over. What's he say? I'm going to break them. I'm going to break them. I don't know about your particular story. every, Every one of us has a God story, right? But in my life... God broke me. He took me to broke. He didn't take me to almost broke. He didn't take me to kind of broke, but not really broke. Nope, He took me to broke. He took me to broke. Why? Because I was in rebellion, man. I was in full-on rebellion against God, and He absolutely shattered me. But when He shattered me, what did I do? Lord, save me. God says, I'm going to shatter the people. But when that happens, when their power is broken, what are they going to do? Lord, save me. Right? And everyone whose name is written in the book will be saved. You with me? Everybody tracking? So we see that the power of the holy people will be broken unto repentance. We've got to come to a point of repentance. That means where we... We turn away from the love of our sin and we turn toward the love of God. We, we are broken in that. And then finally, well not finally, but continuing, Daniel 12.10, we see the results. What's the results of all these things? It says, Many shall be purified and made white and refined, but the wicked will do wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So there's going to be a purifying of the righteous. Now again, we're dealing with Israel, right? Church is gone, folks. We're dealing with Israel. Israel in her rebellion. Israel in her unbelief. Last seven years, God's going to bring them to a point where their rebellion ends and they turn to Him and call upon His name. He's he's working through them. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 and 9 talks about this. It says, And it will come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it will be cut off and die. But one-third will be left. I will bring the one-third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined. I will test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name. And I will answer them and say, This is my people. And each one of them will say, The Lord is my God. 
So God's going to purify. He's going to take it. That's what that period of time is all about. That period of time is not for purifying the church. The church is only purified by the sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church is not purified by anything else. You're purified by Jesus Christ. This purification is simply bringing the people to their knees where they'll call on Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says, They will look upon Him whom they have pierced, and they'll mourn as one mourns for an only son. That one day the veil is going to be taken, their eyes are going to be opened, they're going to see Jesus Christ for who He is. But Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, took upon Himself the wrath of God for you and I. He took upon Himself the wrath of God for the body of Christ, for His bride. (coughs) It has been accomplished. But not only is there going to be the purifying of the righteous, but there's also going to be the purging of the rebel. Right? That's what He said. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, many will be made purified, but the wicked are still gonna do wickedly. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 33 through 38, he says, As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. I will bring you out of the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples. And there I will plead my case with you face to face. Just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness in the land of Egypt. So I will plead my case with you, said the Lord God. I will make you to pass under the rod. I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you and those who trespass against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell that they shall not enter the land of Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord. God has always known how to bring the righteous home and deliver the wicked for judgment. But God has always been patient. Yes? He's always said, I'm long-suffering towards you. I don't desire that any would perish. So I'm taking my time. But when this day starts, when that clock starts ticking... The taking your time part is over. That's why the Bible declares, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Not later. Now. Today. This is what he's talking about. That moment. Judgment day comes. Now verse 11 of Daniel 12. And from that time, or from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be... 1,290 days. So, it's kind of precise, right? Could have picked any number. In a minute, he's going to say 1,335 days. That's 45 days later. But here's what we know. The book of Revelation tells us that the the seven-year, the final seven-year period of time, from the abomination of desolation to the battle of Armageddon, is 1,260 days. So what happens to the next 30? He says, from the abomination of desolation, it's going to go 1,290 days. There's 30 extra days in Daniel. What's these 30 extra days that he's laying out for us? What's the 30 extra days that he's talking about? First, he wants us to know, persecution's limited. It's not going to continue forever. It's going to have an end point, time times and a half time. 
But the 30 extra days, I believe, is going to be the judgment of the nations. Look, if you read uh, uh, Revelation chapter 19, the battle of Armageddon, all the people who die and perish at the battle of Armageddon, that's all the armies. But there's a lot of other people who don't go with the army to battle, right? Isn't that in in the reality of our experience? And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 25, God is going to divide the sheep from the goats. You remember that section of scripture? Let me, let me see if you remember it like this. Jesus will say to them, you go to the left and you, you go to the right. You who went to the right, you go to the right because when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick, you visited me. And they said, Lord, when do we do this to you? And he said, whenever you did this unto the least of these, my brethren, you did what? You did it unto me. To the others that he says, nope, you guys don't enter into the kingdom. What's he going to say to them? I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was sick, you didn't visit me. Well, when didn't we do those things? When you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it to me. That's the judgment of the nations. At the end of the tribulation period, guys, there's going to be so much pain, heartache, and tribulation taking place in those seven years that God's division of who's going to enter into the kingdom and who's not is going to be based on, what did you do when my people were starving during the tribulation? What did you do when they were naked, when they were beaten, when they were... You want to get a little picture of it? Just just back yourself up to Germany in the middle of the Holocaust. And ask yourself, what did you do when they were dragging them away? Did you celebrate because you now you got their house? Were you a part of the solution or a part of the problem? God says, I'm going to judge the nations. I think that's going to take 30 days. 30 days, and then God's going to set up uh, His kingdom. Now look what it says next in Daniel. But blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. That's 45 days after that. What do you think that is? Well, I'll give you the short answer. Nobody knows. Now, I didn't say nobody has an idea. But I did say nobody knows, right? Nobody really knows for sure. There's a couple of things. One would say that it takes 45 days then to set up the government of the kingdom. And you enter into the thousand year reign of Christ as he rules and reigns as king. That's one view. Another view says that's 45 days is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember last time I told you there's two suppers? Everybody gets invited to one? There's the supper, marriage supper of the Lamb and the supper of the great God. Supper of the great God, bad supper to get invited to because you're the meal. <laughs> marriage supper of the Lamb, that's the celebration of the wedding of Christ. Now I just want you to... This is not scriptural, but I just want you to see the picture. A little bit of the picture of the Jewish wedding. I can't talk about too much or we'll still be here for way too long. But I'll give you just a little glimpse, okay? The Jewish wedding is set up by a betrothal. In the betrothal, the father of the groom brings the bride to his house. And while there, they make the contract, you and me, till the end of time. 
If you look at what the scripture says about the rapture, it says, and then we will be with Christ forever. It's like the contract. We're with him. That's the first part. The second part was a wedding. What happened at the wedding? For the wedding, the groom and the bride went to the bride's house. If the groom's house is heaven, the bride's house is earth. So he comes to earth, and you have what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. That was common in earthly marriage suppers for them to go seven days or longer. Since we're going to be having the marriage supper with Daniel and Moses, John the Baptist, all the Old Testament saints, all the tribulation saints, all the church saints gathered together having this incredible celebration for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as he introduces to them all his bride, the church that he saved out of all the chaos of time. It's not unforeseeable that that could last 45 days. Blessed is he who comes to the 1335 days. <coughs> That's view number two. View number three is it's 45 days after the judgment of the nations when God raises the Old Testament uh, saints in the, at the end of the first resurrection, the closing of the first resurrection. That'd be a blessing too, right? Because if you make it into the first resurrection, that's good. If you make it to the marriage supper of the Lamb, that's good. If you enter into the kingdom of God, that's good. So all of those things would make that a blessing. But the, the, the point is, think about it. Think about what did God tell Daniel when Daniel said, Lord, I don't understand. God said, it's not for you, bro. The people for who it is, they'll get it. You just write it down. And look what he told Daniel at the end. But you, Daniel, go your way. Daniel's an old man now, right? He's been through it all. He says, Daniel, you go your way till the end of days. He says, and I, you will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. I'll bring you up. I love it that when John the Baptist, you remember, just think back for a moment. John the Baptist was asked, are you the Messiah? He said, no. Well, who are you? I'm part of the wedding party. You remember? He says, I'm just part of the wedding party. I'm an attendant at the wedding. John the Baptist, who was the last prophet, right? The last of the Old Testament saints? Interesting. In order to find out, you've got to be there. How do you get to be there? What did it tell us in the beginning? How do you get there? You've got to have your name where? you got to have your name in a Lamb's book of life. How do I get my name in a Lamb's book of life? i got to be in Christ. Lamb's book of life. Here's this book. The Lamb's book of life. In order for me, my name to be in there, i got to be in Christ Jesus. You want to understand what that's all about? Read Ephesians chapter 1. But basically, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, tell us that in order to be in Christ, you have to believe. You have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You got to turn from your sin and turn to your Savior. And he says, Your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we have all of those promises to hold to. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.